Welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. My name is Beth and I'm your producer. Thanks to the team at Hillsong, we're able to bring you this episode from our masterclass at Hillsong Conference 2019. I'd love to invite you to join us for a conversation with Christine Kane, Robert Ferguson, Donna Crouch and Mike Gore around fear, faith and how we follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another inspiring message from Hillsong Church. This is Mike Gore in the middle. Mike is the CEO of Open Doors, which is an amazing organisation that we're going to learn more about this afternoon. And need I say, Christine Kane, who is a force of heaven and earth, founder of A21, Propel Women, um, co-senior pastor of Zoe Church, and a core, core, core part of Hillsong Church around the world. And we love Christine. And, and this afternoon, we together are just going to work as a team and learn about the persecuted church, about our brothers and sisters around the world. We're in, a, in an amazing conference this week. But there are people around the world right now today, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we don't know their names and we don't know who they are, but they are truly the superstars of the church and the earth. They're the people who are risking their lives that we'll never know about. We don't know their names. Their children, their mums and dads, their old people, and they're just people like you and I. And they are literally laying down their all for the cause of Christ and the gospel. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 4 verse 18 when he was in prison. And the prisons back then weren't like the prisons in Silverwater just down the road here all electric and beautiful with three meals a day, although that's pretty, still pretty rough. They were pretty gruesome. And he wrote in Colossians 4 verse 18, he wrote, Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. In the New Testament, New Testament was birthed in persecution. And the Word of God instructs us to remember our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. And in 2019, there was great persecution for the gospel on the earth. And it's not just in the closed countries, it exists around the world. And this afternoon, we're going to learn in the moments that we have together. And I do want to thank you. We do want to thank you for taking the time. It's been a big day and there's been so much to take in. But we really, really thank you making room and time to come and listen and open our hearts um, to hear about some of the greatest people in God's church because they deserve our, our respect and honour and our love and our support and our prayers. Amen. So um, just to kick this off, we're going to just see something on the screens and then Dave and Michelle are just going to come and lead something for a moment. So thank you. Faith is unshakable cornerstone of their lives. We are not a godless people. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Sticks and stones may break my A series of explosions at churches and hotels in Sri Lanka. Christians in Syria and Iraq keep faith in the face of genocide. Jesus break through the darkness. Time and time again, we see the light of Jesus break through the darkness. Hope overcoming fear, grace reigning over suffering. And in what seems like the most unlikely of circumstances, courage is born. Open doors. Helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. Join the movement today. Decided to follow Jesus, no turning. 
So many young people in this room today and that's really really exciting because a lot of young people here today your parents if they are believers would probably know of brother Andrew and you think open doors is something for old people so Mike um, quickly who are open doors and why is it needed because some of us old people would have heard about brother Andrew but why open doors today yeah look it's a great question well one of the things you know everyone the world over is trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. At Open Doors as a ministry, started in 1955 by a guy that most of our parents, as you said, Donna, would know. Well, we help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And the way we work is we go to the most difficult places first. So places like North Korea, right across Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan. And we say to the local church, how can we breathe life into what you're doing and help people follow Jesus? Wow. So... The amazing thing about Open Doors is most not-for-profits, their goal is to stop poverty. But when I've met with you and talked with you, your goal isn't to stop persecution. So it's a total brain messer upper. Um, your goal isn't to stop persecution, but to support people in persecution. So could you join me today because explain that to us? Yes, yeah, it's one of the reasons I asked this guy to join me today because he could give me all the biblical um, justification I need. <laughs> but look, the truth of it is, I, I absolutely believe the persecution it is a hallmark of successful Christianity. That wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. And so, if we as an organisation wanted to stop it, as far as the cause goes, well, we need only ask people to stop talking about Jesus. But we're not going to do that. Right. And so as an right. organisation, we're not here to stop it. We're not even here to stop it growing. Mm -hmm. We're here to give people the strength, whether you're in Australia, Singapore, Iraq, Afghanistan, we're here to give you the strength to stand in the face of it and shine as brightly as you can for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. It's an amazing mission, isn't it? That their goal is to support the persecuted church and persecuted believers. I don't know about you, but that probably needs to sink in for a little bit because it's a crazy mission statement. So, Robert, could you explain to us the theology of persecution? <laughs> it's a hard sell at a conference, isn't it? Like, theology of persecution, because it's something... You know, you've studied revivals pretty intensely, and it's something that goes with the growth of the church. So, could you unpack that for us, please? Well, I'm sure we're going to get to the theology of persecution. I'd love to talk to it, but can I just start by saying that... We can talk in theory here about persecution. This is an easy thing to do. We're sitting on a comfortable couch in a warm room. But the best way to engage with persecution is to, is to meet the persecuted church. And before I talk about what the Bible says, can I just tell a story about how I was impacted? Because that's why I studied what the Bible says about persecution, because I met the people who were being persecuted. I had an opportunity throughout the 80s to work in what were then the Eastern Bloc countries in Europe, all of which were closed for the gospel. And for 10 years, we trained young people and leaders in Eastern Europe. And we personally were treated reasonably well, although there were challenges and difficulties, but we were working with people who were being persecuted on a regular basis. And I just remember one particular man who just had a profound impact on me. After I'd been there for a few years, he was sharing a platform with me, training young people who are now some of the key leaders in Eastern Europe. And he had been in prison numerous times simply for being a Christian. And he was not only imprisoned, he was beaten, he proclaimed, tortured fairly regularly simply because he proclaimed Christ. Now, you've met numerous people like this, but when you, when you meet someone, and I said, 
So do you feel bad about that? Do you feel bitter about that? There was no bitterness. There was no sense of loss. He said, well, obviously we're being persecuted because we love Jesus. Jesus was persecuted, will be persecuted. And he, he said, and anyway, God has told us to love our enemies. So I said, well, but what does that actually look like when your, your prison guard is just about to beat you? And he said, well, I had a simple strategy. I just asked for words of knowledge. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the, the torturer would come toward me and I would ask God, I said, tell me things about this man's life that nobody else knows. No way. And then he would just say, well, just before you beat me, can I just say I'm praying for your cousin because he's got this problem and that problem. And he said sometimes they would interrogate me in tears because of the way I was able to witness to him. So in that man's case, his closed doors became ministries, which is exactly what this ministry is all about. Closed doors aren't, op aren't closed doors. They're open doors. Mm. The gospel is able to be pronounced in a, it proclaimed in a greater way because of persecution. So I'm sure there's going to be lots of opportunities in the next three quarters for now to unpack the theology. But can I just start there with a, an individual? Chris, why are you so passionate about supporting the persecuted church? Same reason I met um, some people. I was invited to do a conference in um, a particular part of Asia. And I, there was 500 people from the underground church in China. And they um, were the four streams uh, had come together for the first time, 125 from each stream. And they had invited me because of all the, uh, some of you would know better than me, but industrialization um, and urbanization happening in China, you know, movement came from the villages to the cities. And um, they were saying to us that we are hemorrhaging a generation of young people. And so in the midst of all of that, they said, so we have asked you to come, Christine, to teach us about leadership and youth leadership so that we can stop hemorrhaging a generation of young people. And we'll talk later about, you know, why some of that has happened. Because we were taught by our leaders to how to witness to our executioner on the way to our execution. And I just sort of stopped. And I said, what do you mean? They said, yeah, the prison guard that was taking us to the execution, we were just taught how to tell that person about Jesus and how to lead them to Jesus before they killed us. And I, I, I froze, you know, and um, then I just went down on my knees, literally. I went, I don't actually know what I'm doing here. I have no idea what you think I could teach you. Um, but whatever it is that you've got, I want you all to lay hands on me and I want that revival fire and I will take that back to Australia and to America and to the rest of the world because whatever you got, I want. And they said to me, you know, this is what happens with persecution. You just have to know the Holy Spirit. You have to know Jesus and you just have to believe for the fire of God and the faith of God to be faithful to the end. It's not about how big a thing you build for God. It's how faithful you are to Jesus until the end. And I said, you know what? I might be known for building great things to God, but I I want to be faithful to Jesus to the very end, so I want what you've got. And sort of that led me on a journey mm. to a love for Amazing. the persecuted church. So, Mike, with Open Doors, um, supporting Open Doors projects, do you, where does the financial help actually go to? Like, what projects do you actually do? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the probably more difficult questions to answer, not because of any kind of shadow games or anything, but the truth of it is we work in 70 countries around the world and the work in each of those looks vastly different. Right. A quick sort of glimpse into the Middle East, you know, as bad as the language is, the darling of sort of charity work over the last seven or eight years has been Syria and Iraq. Yeah. Now, as an organisation, we've been there for three decades. Yeah. Right. We were there before ISIS, we were there through ISIS and we are there after ISIS. Yeah. And what would be interesting if I said to you, which do you think of those chapters is the most difficult? Well, it's the post-ISIS chapter. Is that true? Because the world moves on. The idea of, oh, well, we think that problem solved. Well, the work is just beginning. And so for us, at the height of the war with ISIS, the church there, the local church, it was feeding people, giving them shelter, giving them clothing. And so we were doing lots of those projects. 18 months later, 
when the hopelessness and the helplessness of the refugee camps had set in. Mm -hmm. We were doing marriage counselling, education for children, trauma counselling, all sorts of stuff again because a local church there said, hey, it's shifted, we need help. And so we helped. Yeah. And then you come forward another 18 months and the camps are gone. But the truth of it is, is because employment or unemployment is at such high rates, well, the way to keep the church there is through micro business loans. And so we've got stonemasonry clinics, keeping sewing factories, you name it, all always aimed at keeping the church there, not helping people go. And I mean, that's one glimpse into one country. Right. So the work that we do, it's broad, right. but it's always aimed through the local church at helping people remain courageous and advance the gospel in their local setting. Right. I actually want to jump to um, another chapter we're going to look at. We just called this No Matter What the Cost. And recently in Australia, there was Refugee Week in June. And I said to Mike, you know, is Open Doors part of Refugee Week? And he said, well, actually, we're not because we help believers stay in country. They don't leave. And I was like, oh, so, you know, there's, and Refugee Week is something that's fantastic to support 60 million people around the world who are trying to find a new place to live, not because they want to leave their home, they want to go back. But he said, we're actually helping believers stay in their country for the gospel, which again, it just flips everything in my mind when you work in the not-for-profit space. And um, so I said, look, it'd be really good for us for a few moments to learn a little bit about, because not everything in this session is going to be taped and you can't film everything that Mike might talk about because it's closed. But I said, it'd be great for us to learn a little bit more about the Middle East, because not everything that we watch on SBS or ABC in Australia, because a lot is Aussies here, is we're going to hear um, the truth because a lot is filtered out. So I really wanted you to tell us, Mike, specifically, what has happened in the Middle East with ISIS, with believers, that we will not hear on the news? What revival has happened that we do not hear in the, in the media? And again, because of persecution, it hasn't come through all the outlets. And what does it look like now that um, ISIS appears to be on the back foot, but persecute, we thought persecute, you know, when we chatted last week, getting ready for today, it looked like you know, you'll presume that persecution is okay and you were like, well, actually, it's not. So, again, can you just unpack? Do you think that's a cool thing yeah. to find out with the Middle East? Because, again, it's a bit of a mystery. I'm like, I'm, I've got a lot of questions myself, so I thought it'd just be great if you could go there for us all, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. So just a couple of clarifying statements, particularly around Middle Eastern uh, persecution and Christianity. Well, number one is that ISIS is a terrorist group, right? They're not indicative necessarily of a religion, they are a terrorist group using religion to justify their cause. I think that's really important, and it's a story that's not often told in Western media. And number two is that ISIS killed a lot more Muslims than they did Christians. Wow. Because often, again, within church and contemporary church culture, we will say that it's all about Islam versus Christianity. And that, that the, true, the true story. What I would say is that in the middle of that, the church was under pressure and under attack at times. Right. There's another people group called the Yazidis, now, the Yazidis were treated a lot more harshly than Christians. Right. Christians were at least given a chance. Yazidis were not. Right. Because within Islam, they acknowledged Jesus as a prophet. Okay, now within Yazidis, they would call them devil worshippers or people who worship creation. And so they weren't given an opportunity. Right. Christianity in the middle of this war was under pressure mm -hmm. and under persecution. Mm -hmm. But some of the beautiful things I've heard from being on the ground in places like Damascus, Aleppo, Iraq is that believers say to us there, hey, you know what, in the West, you look at suffering as the end of a chapter. That God is bringing something to an end. And they said, we look at it at the beginning of the next chapter. And they said, for us, this wall, it is exciting to think what God has planned on the other side of it. Mike, it's not the end of anything. It's the beginning of a new generation of believers in this nation that are bold and courageous and committed to the gospel. And that's the untold story of the Middle East. It's that, man, it's not helpless. It's not hopeless. The truth of it is, if every single Christian, as we knew it, was to leave Iraq, well, you know what? Jesus would still build his church. Mm. It might look different. Mm. It might be unconventional. But one thing I know is that God will not give up on people right. and that Jesus died for you to catalyze the ISIS, right? right? And right. more than that, man, he used Saul to catalyze the Great Commission. Yeah. In fact, without Saul persecuting Christians, we wouldn't even have the Great Commission. So maybe our prayer for people like ISIS should go from being, man, stop from being Lord, wipe them off the face of the earth, to God bring the time of building a church to an end and now convert them.
And I think that's the untold story of the Middle East. Can, can I just say something? Because this would be a good, good point to just highlight what Saul did and how God used Saul. If, if you look at, at the Acts of the Apostles, and that should be our template, not, not just the gospel, obviously, we're proclaiming Christ, but how the early church started, it was, it was birthed in persecution. So Jesus says, to, says in Acts chapter 1, he says, this is my mandate for you, this is my commission, get filled with the Holy Spirit and go to speak in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. And they all said, great, the next chapter they get filled, and you would think they were just set off. Not one person fulfilled the Great Commission. Nobody left Jerusalem. So they stayed in Jerusalem in Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 6, Acts 7, and Acts 7, martyrdom, the witness of Stephen. And Acts martyrdom, the witness of Stephen. And Acts chapter 8, verse 1 is so critical because it says, and a persecution broke out against the church. And as a result, the people left, the Christians left Jerusalem. And it says, all except the apostles, which always amuses me because apostles means the sent ones. So the only people who didn't leave were the ones that were sent in the first place. But they left and as a result of a persecution. I've, I'm of the opinion that if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ anywhere in the world does not fulfill the Great Commission, God is quite able to organize a small persecution to get us to do it. And you think those first few verses in Acts 8, such a critical chapter in the, gospel, in the, in the book, maybe four things it could be said happened directly. Number one, Stephen chose. Persecution will always enable us to choose. What do we believe or what do we not believe? What, what do we actually value here? That's what persecution does. Second thing that happened, Philip went. He left to do what but he do. Philip, he's one of the deacons. He wasn't one of the apostles, but he did what he was told. So persecution immediately made people choose. What do you believe? Do you believe in this or not? And immediately made people obey. The third thing that happened was that Judea believed because it says because they were scattered, they went throughout Judea and the word of and the spread. Persecution will always cause the word of God to spread. And the fourth thing that happened is that Samaria saw the miracles of God. All of that started in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Because of a persecution, people chose, people saw, people believed, people obeyed. Persecution isn't a bad thing. Persecution is a promised thing. And it's a blessed thing. It's just that we don't talk about it much. Yeah, if I was you, I'd be getting your notebooks out now because chap, the next um, two topics that we're going to cover, I would seriously be getting your notebooks out because when they were talking just before we got up here, they were dropping bombs or your phones, okay? So I'm like, just get ready. So let's jump to chapter three, lessons from the underground church. Um, persecution from the church, like persecuted church in China. Let's jump to you for a moment. Can you tell us, Mike, persecuted church in China. Let's jump to you for a moment. Can you tell us about the church in China? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think Chris and I have some you interesting can, you stories. Two can, you, so, can, uh, you two can bounce a little yeah, bit. You yeah. can go for it. Well, look, I wanted to set the context for my time in China, which was uh, part of the thing with Open Doors is that we have the privilege of smuggling Bibles into believers all over the world. And I had the great privilege of taking some Bibles into believers in China. And I remember sitting in the hills outside of Hong Kong with some people from the underground church. I had 17 kilos of Bibles and we were talking about making the delivery the next day. And anyway, as I sat with this brother, he was sharing a story about last time he had some foreigners with him. He said, we're standing at the border waiting to have our bag scanned. And we said, hey, let's pray we can get these through. He says, we prayed and the x-ray machines, they blew up and caught on fire, like right there in front of us. He says to me, brother Mike, I want you to pray the same thing happens. I remember I'm sitting in these hills thinking, fire. But I prayed so specifically that an x-ray machine would blow up and catch on fire. But 
He's telling me to do it. I better do it. So here we are. We're praying these prayers. And the next day, I jump on the bus. My bag is full. And this guy comes running out, waving a piece of paper with a big smile on his face. Jumps on the bus and he says, it's a news report from a local news site. He reads it out and he says, last night at 8.30, the scanners at the border blew up and caught on fire. Really going to be true? Anyway, there's scorch marks, there's yellow border. And I'm thinking, man, is this really going to be true? Anyway, there's scorch marks, there's yellow tapes. And we're able to get these bags through into the underground church. And, uh, and later that day, yeah, incredible, incredible story. <laughs> But, but later that day, as I sat with probably a 60, 70, maybe even 80-year-old believer, he was talking about faith in the face of communism, incredible stories of miracles. I remember saying to the brother, hey, can I pray, can I pray for you? And he says, yeah, I want you to pray that persecution never leaves China. And I remember I thought, this was my first year at Open Doors. I'm thinking, I don't think that's what we're meant to do. Like charities are meant to sort of stop things, right? And he says... We, we look at the Australian church as a prophetic example of what happens when faith becomes free. He said, the value of Jesus drops. I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. And I said to him, what were you to pray for me, naively? He says, yeah, I pray you'd be persecuted. <laughs> and um, he goes on and he talks about materialism. I've said this a lot before, I know, but I've seen a lot of Christians survive persecution, but very few prosperity. And he says, because picture this, Mike, persecution is the enemy's second best tactic. His best is materialism. Because if the enemy had a barrel of a gun pressed towards your temple, and he said, Chris, renounce Christ or I'll pull the trigger. He says, nine times out of ten in that moment, you'll find the courage not to deny Christ and the trigger will be pulled. But he says, imagine this now, Chris, cars, fame, a warehouse, and says, you can have it all. A big house, money, cars, fame, food, whatever it is. And you can have Jesus sitting on a throne. You can go to him any time you want. This believer said to me, it's not long, Mike, before you get so focused in playing in the blessings that you don't even realize that Jesus Christ has left the building. And he says, that's the problem with materialism. So that was my introduction to China. Yeah, wow. Chris, over to you. <laughs> I already told you that. that I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going, um, my interaction with, with those uh, leaders and then meeting um, several people from the Middle East, again, um, there's two sides. See, we hear stories like this, and this is where I want to uh, go the flip side. This should, to me, um, you could be materialistic in the West or in the East or in the Middle East. That, that, that's incidental. Idolatry is idolatry wherever it is. Anyone right. can fall for that. What we have to do is ensure that not only are we passionate about uh, machines blowing up as we smuggle Bibles into China, but that we actually read our own Bibles so that we can be doing what God has called us to do. Yeah. This is the great... When I was talking with our brothers and sisters in, the, in this conference I was at for the Chinese church, this was the thing. It's not that they're praying that we suffer, but that we actually would live the life that Christ has called us to live. Yeah. Uh, right. The greatest gift we can give to the persecuted yeah. church is actually to bear. It's not just where we are. Right. Um, and remembering that there's a spin-off there it's not that uh, our persecution is going to look different. Right, um, right. That's the thing that we have to understand. And in some ways, for some of us, it might be just a lot easier to go, man, I'd, I'd rather come out of the social, um, out of the spotlight and be in a prison cell anonymous in the back of nowhere um, and hanging on to Jesus. And that would be awesome than hanging on to Jesus while the spotlight of the world is on me right. and um, having to sustain a, a faithful Christian right. uh, witness Great, um, in what God has called me to do in, in a, a very um, visual, prosperous Western world mm -hmm. to remain faithful there is equally as difficult right. as remaining faithful with holding a gun to your head because most of us will not have a gun pointed at our head for being right. a Christian right. um, but we will be tempted to compromise in a thousand other different ways right. or to dilute our witness in a thousand other different ways some of us the greatest challenge we're going to have um, in the 21st century in a very interconnected globalized world a social media world uh, a celebrity world world, whichever way you want to word it, remaining faithful. We can take lessons from our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and um, in areas of Asia, uh, South America, uh, having a gun pulled of Africa. There's a persecution that comes with having a gun pulled, you know, pointed at you saying deny Christ or go to jail or we're going to kill you or um, some of the major things we've seen in the media to do with major world religions and kind of a lot of the conflict that's happening that just causes a lot of division and causes us to other others. But a lot of us, um, our deal is are we willing 
in the pluralistic, secularized um, 21st century, largely Western culture that most of us come from in this conference, what is it, we've got to ask ourselves some really serious questions about what does persecution look like for us? We're not, we don't all have to move to China um, to be persecuted in that sense. Just stay right where you are. And I think that's what Robert's speaking to. But we, we, this isn't like we're coming, this poor little open doors ministry, so glad Brother Andrew smuggled all these Bibles and we can all read these wonderful um, books on kind of, the, you know, my husband tells me stories all the time. He used to smuggle Bibles into that region of the world. Um, and it sounds so romantic and it can be detached from our own Christianity. Mm -hmm. But I think what we've got to, where if we filled this room today, which we don't even realize why in a lot of, most of us, but we're going to leave the room and in the world in which we are living in, whether it's the prosperous West or whether it's totalitarian regimes in different parts of is what I'm saying. Um, none of us are going to hide from this is what I'm saying is right. that all of us are going to have to learn how to navigate what it means to be persecuted in the 21st century if we are to be truly faithful followers of Jesus Christ right. and um, I've learned from the interactions I've had with um, my brothers and sisters from different regions of the world where they experience persecution in the way we would more know it, that you're in prison for being a Christian um, or you, you lose all of your rights, all of your privileges, all of your assets, or you are killed for being a Christian. That would be more like the Hebrew Christians in the book of Hebrews that, were, that had converted from Judaism and became Christians and they lost all of their property, all of their rights. They fled to the catacombs. Now that's happening in parts of the world, but it's easy for us to feel very, very separated from that if we do not awaken to what is going on in our own world and understanding that Christians are largely um, becoming rapidly a minority in even the Western world when it comes to our beliefs, when it comes to confessing Christ, when it comes to building our life on the foundation of the Bible, um, and when it comes to having ethics that are very different to right. um, a pluralistic world that we live in. So what we're going to find is Open Doors is going to relate as much to all of us as it like. We are far more likely as a Western... Learning. Yeah, I, look, I feel personally like we are far more likely as a Western church. It's one of the reasons I love Open Doors. I believe it's one of the most important ministries over the next 10 to 20 years in Western cultures because at the moment we're at this beautiful inflection point for faith, but we have a great risk of far more likely falling into a place of insignificance within culture than persecution. Yeah. And for me, that is a far more terrifying outcome yeah, wow. because I think of which is of greater danger to my faith, ISIS or an iPhone? Right, because I see one of them around the world driving people to God and I see one of them drawing them away from him. Yeah. And it's a subtlety of distraction that's suffocating our faith. And if you take that forward, when you suffocate your faith and you suppress Jesus, well, you know what? You can marginalize Christianity to be only about generosity, kindness, good deeds. And in that moment, all you're doing is paving the wide road to hell with generosity and kindness because Jesus, he is the only distinctive. Yeah. Which is all going to come back to that because here is the deal that it's easy. And currently in our world, I mean, I lead one of the largest social, well, certainly one of the largest anti-human trafficking organisations in the world. People will applaud that um, because, you know, we, we are living in a world, um, a, a very activist world currently in, in, in lots of different ways. But people do not applaud when you say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth comes to the Father but by Jesus. Do you realize, Father, but by Jesus? Do you realize how not everyone applauds that message in the day in which we live? Um, because Jesus is highly inclusive. We love that part. Whosoever will, but is highly exclusive. Yeah. I am the way, the truth, the life. We love the inclusive Jesus. We don't like the exclusivity of the Christian gospel. And so the challenge for us is going to uh, be able to continue to speak the truth in love because we actually do, whichever way you want to slice it up, you can be as kind, as nice, as empathetic, as generous as the world wants to be, but there is an exclusivity to our gospel, which is foolishness to those that are perishing, and no matter which, how cool you want to be accepted, there will come in the tolerant world in which we live in, and in the pluralistic world in which we live in, there is an exclusivity to our faith, which is Jesus Christ is the only way to God. I'm sorry if you don't like it. He said it, not me. And so it's in the Bible. And so I, I said to Donna, I go, you know, the worst job profile in the body of Christ currently in the 21st century is being an evangelist. Um, if I was just a social activist, 
everyone would love me. Being an evangelist does not come with a whole lot of love in the world in which we're living in. And especially when you're not left enough for the left and you're not right enough for the right. And I said, the thing we've got to learn to do yeah. so that in the world in which we live in, it's not go left or go right. So when the winds of persecution, our roots are firmly, firmly rooted in Christ. So when the winds of persecution come, we will not sway. Because yeah. at the moment, we're throwing out truth in the name of love instead of learning how to speak the truth in love and knowing that we will be persecuted by, for our truth, um, no matter how loving that we are. And so the thing that actually transforms society is a courageous, audacious faith in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything else, everyone will applaud us for. That thing, they might kill us for. But are we going to be willing to remain faithful to Jesus no matter what happens? That's the job ahead of us. I hope you wrote all that down or got a soundbite. Did you hear what Chris said? She said, don't go left. And don't go right. Go deep. And what, I'm, I'm not answering questions, but I am going to say what Chris said about even dilution of the gospel and just this universalism of the gospel is even in the church. It's even in the church. And there are, I'm just so pumped. We are so pumped. There's so many young people here. Can, I say, can we say this? Christianity is not a subculture. You haven't got your gangsters, your rappers, and your Christians. Now that it's cool to go to church in the 80s and 90s, now it's cool. You idiots. In the 80s and 90s, now it's cool. No, it's salt and light. It's the gospel. It's the only hope. Yeah? Yeah? There's not enough yeah in the room. <laughs> but I think it's a matter, I love what Donna just said, because see, when I came to Christ here yeah. um, 30 years ago, my family almost didn't speak to me for three years when I converted. Because Decades. for a Greek Orthodox girl to convert, yeah, yeah. it's like a Muslim converting. I yes. mean, it was like I yeah. created the, the ultimate disgrace. When I got water baptized um, in one of our connect groups, I mean, my parents ripped up my birth certificate, my baptism certificate. They thought I, in the Orthodox tradition, that is the unforgivable sin. That yeah. is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to be water baptized. And I think we've got to be very careful with our tattoos and skinny jeans and beautiful lights and that we haven't confused acceptance by the culture of our form and our methodology as acceptance of our message of Christ. And so I'm not saying we should be antagonistic at all. We need to be full of love and grace and mercy and the fruits of the Spirit and all of those things. Nobody's talking about that. But I'm saying there is an element to our faith that is so countercultural. And that there is an enemy of our soul and that still obey. We live in a fallen world and there are forces and spiritual forces still obey. And sometimes we forget all of this and we forget that even living, we just think, man, if we're just all inclusive and all loving and all gracious, you know, we're all going to just chase butterflies, have unicorns and live happily ever after, hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But I'm here to say that that is like a plot from the enemy that just wants to lull the Western church to exactly. sleep. Yes. And it's time for the sleeping giant to wake up, to learn to speak the truth in love, to be full yep. of grace, but yep. to boldly proclaim the Lordship yep. and the name of Jesus Christ. Yep. Because there is no other name yep. by which man will be saved. Yep. And it's the name of Jesus. And so... Um, if you're asking me, why am I so passionate? Uh, this is the core. I would say if I was anything, I'm an evangelist. That's what I am at, at my heartbeat. Everything flows out of that. And so I'm very, very aware that in the world in which we live in, we need to support open doors um, because the truth is I can see them helping us to sustain our witness in the worlds and the countries that we're in and represented here at yeah. the conference. So, okay, I'm going to fire just in the last... Well, we've actually got a quarter of an hour, but I'm going to fire you some questions. But as our world has got smaller with travel and the internet, you know, we're on our phones right now. We can go to anywhere in the world right now. The world has got, got smaller and, you know, th there are closed countries, but the world has got smaller. The world is very accessible. Open doors, really, in the next 20 years, very much will be helping the world everywhere, and that is us. So jumping to the future, jumping to Australia and the West in the next 20 years. Um, Robert, why does the church in Australia need persecution? Well, I tried to explain it a little earlier. I think it's actually necessary for our growth. But I think what, uh, what Christine said, we've got to nail our colours to the Mars. And... 
currently I see a church uh, treating Christianity like a show bag at the Easter show. It's a choice. And I've chosen this show bag because I like it. It, Do you see what I'm saying? Christianity isn't that at all. It is a completely and utterly all-absorbing commitment to the one and final truth, namely Jesus Christ and the extension of his kingdom. And as Christine said, you know, John... John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me is the most exclusive statement that you could possibly imagine. (laughs) Now, of course, we believe everyone, but inclusive in its invitation, it's saying this is for everyone, but it's exclusive in its culmination. And we need to establish that and teach it. Uh, Christine said that, you know, being an evangelist is is a difficult thing. To be honest, I'm a teacher, not an evangelist, but I think teaching is worse. Uh, because We're comparing our persecution. <laughs> James 3, We'll take a vote in a minute. Said we're going to be judged more strictly. Uh, so we're going to have to nail our colors to the mast. And, you know, of course our persecution won't look the same as many parts of the world. But I thank God that the first thing, the first day I became a Christian, I went and told my two best friends about Jesus, thinking that this was going to be the best thing ever. And they never spoke to me again. They rebuked me, they lied to me, they swore at me and abandoned me. And I think it was the best thing that I could have imagined. It, it changed everything because I thought, well, I'm a Christian now. And can I just encourage you that Christianity, I mean, persecution is inevitable. Jesus said this in in, uh, John 15. He said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they love me, they'll love you. So he said, if they persecute me, persecute you. It's absolutely promised. I I want you to just clarify, what's the difference between persecution and stupidity? Yeah, please don't be an idiot. Um, we've got like plenty <laughs> of that. It's persecution. You know, no, you're being Oh, some people, idiot. they go out there and I'm just like, honestly, you're giving God a bad name. And um, <laughs> it, it just doesn't need to. I'm not talking about willfully inciting um, people to, you know, it, it comes from a spirit. I think the, the spirit of idiot is actually idolatry because you want to be the hero. It's not about actually saying because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, because of the word himself, um, either I'm I'm not compromising on this factor, I'm choosing to live my life this way, or I'm choosing to do this with my resource, my time, my talent, my treasure. That's one thing of being in the world, but not of it because of um, the way we're following Jesus. But actually being a pharisaical, legalist, like just judgmental idiot um, is just not the way to go. You know, I live in America now and uh, just see some of the things where I think, oh my gosh, I don't even want to claim to be spiritually related to you. I'm going to change religions. Anyway, so it's like, that, that's what I mean about being an idiot. Yes, it's like, you know, yeah. they're out there and doing things in the name of Jesus. And I'm like, no, you're not. This has got nothing to do with the Christian. No, I love is, the Bible. Is, is the church... Sorry if you're American. I I love you all. I'm American. I'm I'm converted. Let's not say a country. (laughs) But is there a side of the church you see rising that is mean and judgmental? Yeah, I I, I see two sides rising. And this is why the faithful... Can you talk to us then? A bit of wisdom for us all. So there's the... Any any country. So where you get... If you're just looking on a left-right continuum, the two sides, and this always happens when truth will come in the middle is um, the judgmental, the the people that pick their two pet sins that suddenly they think is worse than everything else and that's what we've got to all talk about whereas in the eyes of Jesus all sin is sin and um, and so then you know normally the thing that I have the least problem with and is the thing that I'm just going to call out in you all the time and so you you see that kind of thing is just ridiculous and it doesn't help anyone and then equally as ridiculous is the sort of kumbaya, let's all hold hands, nothing matters, and just do what you want to do, be what you... We've seen a precedent of that in scriptures. In the book of Judges, everyone just did what was right in their own eyes, and that's never gone well throughout humanity. That's what we're seeing, and I'd say we're erring more on that side now. Um, And I think when Jesus said the way is narrow, 
really, really narrow. I think it's that middle way, that deeper way. Um, and I think that's the tension that we all, between truth and love, that we're going to have to watch we live. Narrow and so difficult and so painful in the world in which we live to walk that narrow way. It would be so far easier to go over here, we just kind of do whatever you want to do, or over here where I pick the top five sins and just rant and rave and point a finger at everyone else um, and continue to live with a log in my own eye. That's not worked well either. And so we're going to have to work really hard to be in that very narrow gate in the middle um, that just navigates the tension between grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. Mike, last question. You were born into a persecuted caste in India, yes? Could you tell us about that and how the gospel saved your life? Yeah, sure. So uh, I was born as a Hindu in India and abandoned at birth by a mother who had apparently fallen pregnant with me out of wedlock. Now, within the caste system, that was a hugely insulting thing to have happen. And I was uh, placed into an orphanage but unable to be adopted because people believe what I'd done in my previous life had determined the circumstances amidst which I'd been born. Now, in 1977, a family in Australia, they applied for an adoption. They heard a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, but nothing conclusive. I was born in 1981, the same year that this family who had applied for an adoption chose to give up on an adoption. They spent the money they were closing the chapter and moving on. But anyway, while I was in this orphanage, a lady there took a lot. But anyway, while I was in this orphanage, a lady there took a liking to me. And one night she grabbed me and she smuggled me across a state border where she bribed some nuns with cash to say that I was dumped on their doorstep. She asked them to change my birth certificate so that I could be adopted under that state's law. This family returned from their holiday to America. They got a phone call saying your adoption's gone through and your son will be at the airport at the weekend. They said, no, I don't think that's going to happen. We don't have money. We, we... And they said, the adoption's gone through. Your son will be at the airport at the weekend. That night, they're a Christian family. They're praying about it. The next day, my mother was driving a car with the two daughters. She had a car crash, wrote the car off without a scratch or a bruise to anyone. And she says to me, Mike, what was a miracle that was two days later, the day before you arrived in Sydney, the insurance money had been returned to her bank account. And it was to the exact dollar that was needed to pay for my adoption. Not a dollar more, not a dollar less. Incredible story. I'm sorry, is the moral of that story that you can bribe nuns? <laughs> That's what I got out of that. Yeah. Right I think it's got something to do with the dimples. <laughs> but look, the reality is, one, one thing I do want to say, Donna, is, man, we often in Western cultures, we, we edify, we put a hierarchy to testimony. Right? We glorify the story. Whether you grew up in a Christian home or whether you had a story like mine, there's no hierarchy. And it's God's story in your life. And if anything you hear or walk away from today, anything other than what we get to about helping the ministry of Open Doors, it's this. God has given you a God-given story and purpose for your life. And when you think about the road to heaven, as, as you're talking about that, Christine, you know, I, I was taken back to, man, the road to heaven, it's Jesus standing there with a cross on his shoulders, a crown of thorns pressed into his head, walking along this path scuffing his feet up, blood pouring down his face, noise, offense, crowds. Man, the road to heaven is paved with difficulty. But I tell you what, it's worth every single bit. That's what we walk as Christians. We're not looking for safety. The longer or the sooner we stop measuring our proximity to God based off his provision of safety, the better we are for it. Because I look the world over, the Middle East, Asia, and you name it. I'll tell you what, these people, man, they do not measure God on his provision of safety. In fact, they do the opposite. They say when their world's spinning out of control, they're going to remain close and courageous and push in, realizing the weight, the weight of the cross on their shoulders, the thorns on their head. Now it's their time to realize that their walk towards heaven is to find. You see, your story in this room matters. Whether you... You see, your story in this room matters, whether you tell it here, there, or everywhere. Don't ever place a hierarchy on testimony. Realize that God gave it to you for a reason. And our job today, you know the whole stupidity question? The stupidity question comes back to the fact when people chase persecution over Jesus. All you need to do is chase Jesus, the Savior of the world. But the moment you start chasing persecution is the moment you've lost it. Yeah, it's a hallmark to successful Christianity, 
but it's a consequence of successful Christianity. You chase persecution, you're chasing the wrong thing. Man, you need to chase the medicine of the world who must be shared, and His name is Jesus. That's so good. So we're going to do a few things in the next few moments. Um, Mike, we, we, we need to ask you a question. An important question is what can we do as believers to support our brothers and sisters who are in the persecuted church, the underground church, who are suffering? And um, then um, Dave and Michelle are going to come up. And then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the persecuted church. But also um, Robert and Chris are going to pray. But I also want you to pray for us here. I can... There's so many young people. I met some young people here who are here who are part of the Olympic team. And, you know, like Chris said, the spotlight is on you and success and be on you to be salt and light and standouts with success and, and not let that, you know, ruin you, but to be able, like Daniel, to be great with it. And for all of us, in all the things that God's called us to be, all the churches we're going to go back to, that we chase Christ, that we shine His love and grace well, and that we be part of His beautiful church on this earth, no matter the cost. Amen. So could you tell us how we can help you? Yeah, please. I'm asking people today to do two things. And number one, I believe every single person in this room who calls themselves a follower of Jesus should be doing something for the survival of the church. Yeah. And what Open Doors has been doing for more than 60 years is helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. So what we do is we ask people to match a subscription, a monthly subscription in your life to our work. I know people who have got Spotify, Stan, Netflix, and Foxtel. And I'm saying, man, what would it take for you? I mean, one coffee a week would be $20 a month. But you know what? If we look forward over the next 10 to 20 years with the changing nature of religious freedoms that we're going to face, the single best mentor you can have is a persecuted church. And more than that, by sacrificing as little as $20 a month, you invest into them to keep them writing their story of courageous faith. And more than that, they're a mentor almost to your inbox, right? They're going to give you the courage to influence boldly and courageously, carrying the cross of Jesus to influence the society and culture for Jesus. And so today I'm asking each and every one of you, there's a form on your seat, there's a stand at the back. Number one, I want you to consider subscribing monthly to the survival of the church because it's not a chase for money. It's anything but that. In fact, I'd rather you choose the lowest amount that would see your supporters for the longest time because in 10 years' time, I want you to still be investing into the next chapter in Iraq, in Syria, in North Korea, in Afghanistan. And I want to see them in 10 years' time investing into you. And so together we can say there's one body, there's one church, and there is one God, and we're going to do it together. And so please, you can go to our tent, you can go to the team at the back here, but please think about signing up. It is such a small sacrifice. And then number two, if you're a church leader here today, we have a team of church speakers and people who I believe have one of the single most important messages over the next 10 to 20 years for your church. How to remain courageously committed to Jesus in a rapidly changing culture. Let us come in and share the stories. I'll come myself for all that matter. But please let us talk about what it means to follow Jesus because you heard from two incredible people today that persecution truly is a hallmark of successful Christianity. So come and see us at the back. Think about subscribing and inviting us to your church because I believe the next 10 to um, Mike, when this ministry is coming into its most needed. Yeah. Um, Mike and his team have actually got tables up the back and they've got a fantastic stand out in the expo. So make sure in the breaks that you get out there, you look at the display, you talk to the team. And um, at Colour this year, I actually went out and they said, look, don't worry about the small amount. When they said, think about your membership, and I thought of gym membership, Spotify, Netflix. They said, don't worry about it small. Just think about it sustained. I went, okay, I'm in. I can do that. And so I thought, I was sort of embarrassed because it wasn't like 100 bucks a month. They went, don't even worry about it. Just think about it over a long period of time. So it's such a blessing to be involved, yeah? Like how far can, can a subscription, I know 30, 50 bucks a month, go to somebody on the other side of the world who is like, really... In this stadium, they're just they're just the superstars. They're the all-timers, aren't they? Totally, totally. So can we really encourage you? Maybe you can't, but maybe your connect group can or your Bible study group or your women's ministry can. So we really want to encourage you to prayerfully think about that, okay? For a moment, you two guys, and then Robert and Chris are going to pray. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. 
If you gave your life, and so will I. If you gave your life to love, and so If you gave your life to love, and so If the stars were made to worship. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. Bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. Yeah. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the angels where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out. Silence, so will I. If the summer born our praise still falls shy, and we'll sing again a hundred billion times. God, we thank you very much for the privilege of being your church, your children, serving you, serving the greatest cause on the face of the earth. Father, you've said that you're going to build a church. And in order for you to do that, you need us to be courageous and committed to you. Father, we've talked about many countries around the world facing persecution and we pray your courage. Persecuted Christians, that you would give them your courage to stand up. To stand up for what is right, to stand up for what is good, for ultimately to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, you said to Paul, your servant, be courageous because you had many people in the city father that isn't just for these people it's for us as well we've got many people in this land we pray for the christians in this land and in the countries represented here that we would 
be courageous and stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand up for what is right and good. And as we've discussed, not to be foolish, but to be Christ-centered. We pray for the ministry of Open Doors. We pray that this won't be just another seminar, another interesting talk, but the ministry that helps all these wonderful people around the world will capture our hearts, inspire our prayers, affect our choices and our generosity to pray for each one here that we would all commit to making a difference and seeing your name lifted, your church built, Christians standing up. We ask it in Jesus' name. Father, I, God, I remember when I got saved that uh, I was just willing to go anywhere to do anything for you to use me. And, and Lord, three decades later, it, it's still the prayer of my heart. And I believe the prayer of everyone, Father, we, we didn't sell out for some comfortable, complacent Christian lifestyle. We want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray you, you, you said we will have need of endurance. And in the day and in the hour in which we live, I pray over every single person, Lord, in this room that we would have the endurance to remain faithful, Lord, that we would not waver in times of trials and storms and persecutions, Lord, that we wouldn't dilute your gospel, that we wouldn't throw out truth in the name of love, but that, Father, we would grow in grace and we would grow in truth and that we would be a people who boldly proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ across our globe. So, Father, I speak fire, I speak strength, I speak courage, I speak confidence into your endurance, Father, I speak tenacity into your people. Lord, let your church arise full of love and grace and mercy across this world. And let the name of Jesus Christ be exalted across this world, I pray. And we pray for souls and souls and hundreds of millions of souls to come into the kingdom of God because of the faithfulness of your people. The faithfulness of your people, Lord. Lord, you said it'll come with persecution, so let us just be a gutsy bunch of Christians that can handle this, Lord. Not run from it, but boldly run into it, knowing that we are empowered by your Holy Spirit. Let us have the spirit of Stephen that just can look up and see you in the midst of it all and be able to proclaim, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but we love them. And Lord, you love them and let them see you because of our faithfulness. Lord, I don't know how the world measures success. I don't want that kind of success, but I pray for godly faithfulness and fruitfulness for every one of us in Jesus' name. Come on, give Jesus Christ a mighty ovation in this place. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can you thank Chris, Rob, and the team? And really, really appreciate you all. It's, I mean, it's so encouraging seeing a packed room on, what, what's today? What is today? It's Thursday. It's on a Thursday afternoon. Can I encourage you to take this, think about it, pray it. We'd love you to get involved. And um, what time do doors open tonight? Five. Okay, so you've got 40 minutes to, um, we actually, you've got like, know an hour and a half to get some dinner if you've got children you do need to pick them up for a little bit but you can drop them off again go get yourself some dinner and enjoy a breather because we're going to have a great evening session tonight starting at six o'clock thank you for being here go catch up with your group and we'll see you tonight for a great evening session god bless thank you for coming Thanks for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast. Before you go, we've just got two things we'd love to mention. The first is if you're enjoying this podcast, why don't you come listen to it in person? We are hosting Open Doors Live this August. If you just head over to our website, you can find a location near you. Go to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. On behalf of Mike Gore and the whole team here, we would love to see you at Open Doors Live. And secondly, if you're enjoying 
this podcast, we would also love you to rate and review it. Go to Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or the podcast app. Basically, wherever you listen to this podcast, we would love for you to share with us what you're enjoying, what you'd love to hear more of, and to share it with your friends as well. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and we would love to see you at Open Doors Live. Catch you next time.